Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022, and the end of week 39 of the Russia-Ukraine war. It's been 3,192 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 273 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russia is conducting stealth mobilization and may be preparing for the second wave of partial mobilization in January 2023. Second, we maintain that Russian forces will continue terror attacks on Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure and conduct these missions in large-scale waves due to improving Ukrainian air defenses. These attacks will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Third, we maintain that the slowdown in combat operations on multiple axes is a mirage, with Rasputitsa creating an outlier situation over the weekend. Fourth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Fifth, we maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Sixth, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing renewed unrest inside and outside the Kremlin, if there continue to be military failures, there is a remote chance Russia could face a regime change. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Eighth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Ninth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, we assess that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished, but remains a possibility in the next 50 to 80 days. Before we get started, yes, I am still under the weather, but I wanted to say thank you for the get well soon messages. I really appreciate them. It's nice to read nice things on the internet. Okay, but anyway, the reason we're all here, let's get some regional updates, starting with Kherson and Zaporizhia. Russian forces significantly increased the number of artillery and rocket strikes in Kherson and Zaporizhia oblasts. 
Social media accounts reported multiple artillery strikes in the city of Kherson, despite ongoing work to try and restore the infrastructure destroyed by Russian troops during their retreat from November 8th to November 10th. Halina Luchova, the head of the Kherson City Military Administration, reported the main pipeline for natural gas was damaged in the attack, killing one person. We had previously assessed that Russia had started targeting Ukrainian natural gas infrastructure in its ongoing genocidal campaign to kill the population of Ukraine over the winter. Ukrainian forces continued to interdict Russian ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines, and supply nodes east of the Dnipro River, with local reports that Novokhovka and Olishki were shelled. Residents of Russian-occupied Tokmak reported six large explosions, according to Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol. Insurgents claimed the strikes were on Russian positions, but there wasn't any additional information at the time of recording. Hours after the report of the strike, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, claimed Russian troops withdrew from some positions and abandoned checkpoints in Molochansk, southwest of Tokmak. The GSAFU also reported that a Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile complex in Polokhi was destroyed, destroying five military vehicles and wounding 40 Russian soldiers. Strikes on Vesele and Melitopol reportedly caused 45 casualties, but we cannot verify the veracity of the report. There was no change in the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, accused Ukraine of shelling the industrial area adjacent to the plant with eight, quote, large-caliber shells. We reported yesterday that international observers with the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, documented the shelling of Enerkhodar, with the watchdog stating the barrage did not represent a threat to the plant. Russian artillery units fired a total of 324 artillery shells, and Smirch and Grad rockets from Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS, at the town of Orekhiv, 10 kilometers from the line of conflict. The settlement, once home to 15,000 people, has been shelled daily since early March. The deputy mayor, Svetlana Mandrich, said that approximately 10% of the population remains, despite the continued attacks, and almost every apartment building and private home damaged or destroyed. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that a convoy of 350 Russian troops is establishing defensive positions at the Kamyana Mohila Nature Preserve. The archaeological site is a unique sandstone feature with petroglyphs dating back to the Neolithic Age, including cave paintings of mammoths. How cool is that? Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. Fighting continued in Pavlivka, according to the Russian MOD and Russian mill bloggers. Mercenaries with Wargonzo said that the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, maintained their military traditions east of Novomikhailivka with another failed attack. Ukrainian and Russian sources reported continued fighting in Marinka and another attempt to flank the city from the north with an attack on Krasnohorivka. The DNR militia was unable to improve their positions in eastern Marinka and could not advance from the north. Pavlo Kirilenko, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Marinka was heavily shelled. The artillery barrage implies the Russian offensive is not going to plan, and the DNR is falling back to Plan Z, a.k.a. the Georgi Zhukov doctrine. A quick sidebar for those of you who are not familiar with General Zhukov, 
His preferred method of advance involved a lot of pummeling an area with artillery, sending in a wave of troops, and if those troops don't make it, well, more artillery, followed by more troops, then more artillery, then more troops, lather, rinse, repeat, until a wave of troops finally manages to make it to the target. It is not my favorite doctrine. Positional fighting continued near Nevelske and Pervomaiske. The People's Militia of the DNR Public Relations Channel released a video of fighting near Nevelske. Based on weather and terrain conditions, the video is at least a week old and was likely released to try and bolster morale. If you want to watch the video, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Quick errors and omissions. On November 21st, we reported that Ukrainian forces had repelled an attack on the Vesela in northeast Donetsk, west of Spirna. The consensus was the attack was on the Vesela just west of Donetsk, where the international airport is located. There hadn't been any previous information that Ukraine had retaken positions in Vesela, so it was our belief the failed advance was closer to Lusychansk. We appreciate your understanding as we cut through the fog of war. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Novobakhmutivka, northeast of the stronghold in Krasnohorivka. We've moved the line of conflict south and east of Novobakhmutivka based on the information, but consider the town a no-man's land. Military commanders with the DNR completed the repeat of events from August 21st to September 3rd when they lost control of the same town after the DNR launched a three-day attack on Novokalinova that failed. Some assessment here. The loss of territorial control after an eight-day offensive by the DNR First Army Corps indicated that they attacked without reserves to hold the defensive line at their starting point or committed those troops in the failed attempt to surround Krasnohorivka. This indicates that the Russian MOD continues to use its light infantry in ad hoc attacks without a cohesive strategy. We don't believe this represents a Ukrainian offensive or a tactical victory, but was a target of opportunity due to poor resource management by Russian military leaders, aided by bad weather. Power was out to over 24,000 homes in occupied Donetsk, and water service had completely failed. The water system issues extended to boiler houses and thermal plants, disabling heat within the city on the same day as its first snowfall. The self-proclaimed leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin, said that utility workers from Russia were working, quote, around the clock, but, quote, cannot yet say that the heating season is going on as usual, end quote. Officials with Water of Donbass did not expect service to be restored before November 24th. The weather forecast is significantly worse than earlier models, with strong winds and freezing rain expected as far south as the coast of the Azov Sea. In our assessment, this will slow down combat operations and potentially ground air assets in drones over the next 24 hours. Supporting our assessment that the private military company or PMC Wagner Group is being spread too thin with an increasing role of replacing elite Russian troops, members of the PMC, along with Chechen forces, arrived in occupied Debaltseve, 50 kilometers northeast of Donetsk. Historically, Chechen forces and PMC Wagner have not cooperated, with documented incidents of fratricide occurring. The GSAFU claimed that Mobics forcibly conscripted in the DNR are receiving military training at a vocational school in Yenikieve, where in-person classes are being held in parallel. 
The DNR militia PR Telegram channel released their 5 o'clock follies, claiming their forces destroyed one S-21 MLRS launcher, 352-millimeter howitzers, and eight units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. No, they had no supporting evidence. Ukrainian forces executed 143 fire missions on the occupied territories. In northeast Donetsk, the GSAFU reported a Russian attack on Siversk was repelled. There were no reports of an advance on the key logistics hub for Ukraine from any Russian source, so in our assessment, this was likely a Russian DRG or reconnaissance group. PMC Wagner, supported by the tattered remains of the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, engaged in positional fighting east of Spirne, Beristova, and Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. Wagner also attempted to flank Solidar with attacks on Yakovlivka and Bakhmutska, and Solidar itself, bolstered by up to 2,000 reinforcements of penal mercenaries. Fighting was intense and supported by Russian artillery units, but there was no change to the line of conflict. Intense fighting was reported east and southeast of Bakhmut along the E-40 highway in the mud and inhumane conditions. A Ukrainian mill blogger reported that the battle conditions are out of the Second World War. Mercenaries with PMC Wagner and Russian troops repeatedly advance during the day across an open, mud-covered moonscape and are mown down. The battlefield is reportedly covered in bodies, and despite the cold, some soldiers play dead for hours before attempting to retreat after failed attacks. The GSAFU reported that Russian troops attempted to advance on Kurdyumivka without success. In Luhansk, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting in Kuzumivka, which was subdued by poor weather conditions, making the use of armored vehicles near impossible. In an interview on Espresso TV, Serhiy Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, hinted that Ukraine would increase military operations once the ground becomes frozen. The Russian MOD reported continued fighting east of Stelmachivka, claiming Ukrainian forces attempted an advance without success. War Gonzo reported fighting on the outskirts of Chervonopopivka, and the GSAFU reported Ploshanka was shelled for the fifth day in a row. Some assessment here. With Ploshanka hit by artillery for almost a week, our confidence level is high that Ukrainian forces have established positions within part of the town. On top of that, Governor Haidai reported, quote, In the direction of Kremina, the armed forces are gradually moving forward. End quote. A Russian mill blogger expressed shock that Ukrainian forces attacked Russian troops, looting belongings from the bodies of fallen Ukrainian soldiers. After an artillery barrage, the Ukrainians recovered the corpses while under fire. The same blogger, on the same day an hour earlier, wrote how Russia needs to apply some of the same techniques in military training as used by NATO. Unconvinced that troops that are well-trained with good leaders, unit cohesion, and high morale will leave no one behind, it was suggested these forces must have some secret information on them. A quick editor's note here. Do you mean secrets like honor, pride, duty? Treating the words no one is left behind as more than just a patriotic slogan? Also, maybe you shouldn't be boasting about looting corpses on the battlefield in your military blog. Fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, and was reportedly difficult, 
with Governor Haidai claiming the forested strips and areas outside of the town are littered with Russian bodies. Okay, we have to talk about this. Some assessment here, okay? We've never seen more pictures and videos of dead Russian troops than we've processed in the last 30 days. Tracking losses in war is almost a fool's task, because neither belligerent in a war of this scale sorry Russia, special military operation, will provide accurate information. However, anecdotal data implies that losses, particularly around penal units and mobics, have been extreme since the first mobilized Russian troops arrived in late September. In the Cherniev, Kharkiv, and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Romadas of Putevil, Znobnovhorodsk, Druzhba, and Shalakhin were shelled from across the international border. The barrage was light and no damage or casualties were reported. Territorial guards exchanged machine gun fire with Russian troops in skirmishes in the Hromadas of Esmin and Khluchiv at the international border. There were no casualties reported there either. The GSAFU reported Semenivka in Cherniev was attacked with artillery and rockets fired by MLRS. There was no additional information at the time of recording, but the town has been a frequent target since the Russian withdrawal around Cherniev in April. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Russian millblogger Rybar reported the 73rd Maritime Special Operations Center soldiers of Ukraine were conducting patrols and reconnaissance of the Russian-controlled coastline of the Kinburn Spit. In Russian-occupied Crimea, air defenses were activated in Sevastopol and Uyutne, with officials claiming three Ukrainian drones were shot down. Officials suspended ferry service in Sevastopol after the attack. The paranoia of Russian military leaders that Ukraine may attempt an attack on Crimea increased, with the terrorist threat level increased to yellow through December 7th. Yellow is the highest level. Rumors that Armyansk would be evacuated or that partial evacuation had begun continued to swirl on social media. Despite the near panic, Sergei Oksyonov, puppet leader of Crimea, said everything is, quote, completely under control, end quote. In a demonstration that there is definitely nothing to worry about, in Sevastopol, occupation officials are creating bomb shelters in a 500-meter-wide grid across the city. Viktor Medvedchuk, who was exchanged to the Kremlin for 200 Ukrainian prisoners of war, was spotted in occupied Crimea in Yalta, eating dinner with his wife Oksana Marchenko, without an apparent security detail. Crimean residents expressed shock as the word spread that he was staying in the town. This is the definition of fuck around and find out. Due to poor weather conditions and continued concern about putting ships on patrol, only six ships with the Russian Black Sea Fleet were out, and none were capable of launching caliber cruise missiles. The Kilo-class submarine operating in the area of Snake Island returned to port. In western and central Ukraine, in Dnipropetrovsk, Marchanets was hit with 30 grad rockets fired by MLRS. There wasn't significant damage or any casualties reported. Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck a maternity hospital in Zaporizhia. There's more information on this in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. On to the Russian front, the Russian town of Shibikino in the Bilgorod Federal District was shelled a day after the Russian Ministry of Defense claimed they destroyed four M777 artillery pieces in Ukraine, which would end the attacks. The shells landed in the Veterans of War hospital area, but not the hospital itself. 
One civilian in a different part of the city was reported killed. The Kremlin is reportedly setting conditions to launch a false flag attack in the Bilgorod region to claim Ukraine has launched an invasion into Russia. The claims are, in a word, preposterous. They are likely being made to prop up support for the special military operation and set conditions for further mobilization. Also in Bilgorod, local officials have opened an investigation into why a woman who reported a quadcopter drone was flying over the city was told to shoot it down herself. Bilgorod Federal District Governor Vyacheslav Gladkov partially blamed the woman for not getting the name of the 112 dispatcher, saying, quote, Next time, please provide more detailed information about the employee who told you this. End quote. Residents in Bilgorod took to social media to complain about poor road conditions and a lack of snow removal after the year's first snowstorm hit the city. City officials reported there was a shortage of drivers and four vehicles were inoperable because they required maintenance. That's weird. I wonder where all the drivers went. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. It has been zero whole days since someone in Russia threatened nuclear war. Russian propagandist Olga Skabeeva, pushing the narrative that Ukraine is preparing to invade Russia, told her viewers, quote, In the event, God forbid, if the capture of Shibikino or Valoiki, she means by Ukraine, without hesitation, nuclear missile in Kiev, end quote. Okay, so in nine months, we've gone from Kiev in three days to what will we do if Ukraine invades us? Bestie, if I could offer a suggestion, take the L and go home. Ukraine opened more than 4,000 of what they're calling points of invincibility as part of a national campaign across free Ukraine. The centers will be activated in areas experiencing power loss for more than a few hours so that citizens can have free access to a heated place with food, drinks, internet access, cellular phone coverage, basic first aid, and charging stations for electronics. A website was set up so people could find the closest hub in heated tents, schools, and other state facilities. Maps are posted in towns across Ukraine showing where local centers are located if internet access has been disabled. Ukraine plans to open more centers as more resources become available. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held another staff of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief meeting to discuss protecting the nation's remaining energy facilities and what work needs to be done to protect Ukrainians during the winter months. The president wrote, quote, We have discussed three main problems. The first is to provide our army with equipment and weapons. The second is the protection of energy infrastructure facilities. The third is to ensure the high-quality work of infrastructure facilities throughout the winter. End quote. Ukraine Security Service, or SSU, conducted counterintelligence operations at the Kiev Pechersk Lavra Monastery in the Kiev Oblast and the Koretsky Holy Trinity Monastery and the Sarny Polisia Eparchy of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Moscow Patriarchate in the Rivna Oblast. Ukrainian officials said the raids were made to look for sabotage and reconnaissance groups, weapons, and to prevent the use of religious communities as a hub for Russian Mir. The searches drew a sharp rebuke from the Kremlin and the Russian Orthodox Church. 
Ukraine has liberated 1,886 settlements since February 24th, with approximately 2,000 still occupied, according to President Zelensky when he addressed the 104th Congress of Mayors and Heads of Municipalities of France via teleconference. Ukraine's former Minister of Education, Dmitry Tabachnik, was notified that he was under suspicion of treason. On May 1st, he contacted the collaborators of the occupied territories in the Kherson and Zaporizhia regions, Volodymyr Saldo and Yevgeny Balitsky, with the Deputy Minister of Health of the Russian Federation, Andrei Plutnitsky, using the Telegram Messenger, quote, to organize processes in the field of security in captured settlements, end quote. At the same time, he acted as a representative of the highest authorities of the Russian Federation. Tabachnik left Ukraine in 2014 after the Russian occupation of Crimea and the formation of self-declared republics of the DNR and LNR. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov denied media reports that Russian President Vladimir Putin was offered a framework for peace negotiations before the G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia. Putin did not attend the meeting in person or virtually. During the summit, the Russian Federation launched almost 100 cruise missiles and more than two dozen Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones at civilian infrastructure targets in Ukraine. Russian ambassador to the United Kingdom, Andriy Kielin, told the BBC that Russia is not holding informal talks with Ukraine on a ceasefire because, quote, Kyiv is very stubborn and is under the illusion it can win this war, end quote as reported by the Russian state news agency TASS. Interestingly enough, the article in TASS used the word war multiple times. Kielin said Western nations should stop supplying Ukraine with weapons, since Ukraine has already lost, quote, a lot of territory, economic, and agricultural potential, end quote. If you're hearing laughter in the background as you listen to this, that's our map editor. Ukrenerho reported they had improved the situation with the Ukrainian electrical grid, and unscheduled emergency blackouts are not expected today. UK Minister of Defense Ben Wallace reported that Ukraine would receive three British military Sea King helicopters. Training of maintenance and flight crews is already completed, and the first helicopter is already in Ukraine. Wallace also reported that another 10,000 artillery shells would be transferred to the Ukrainian armed forces. The UK retired Sea King helicopters in 2018, and they'll be used for search and rescue missions. A bipartisan group of 16 United States senators appealed to United States President Joe Biden to override a Pentagon decision not to supply Ukraine with Grey Eagle drones. It was announced in July that Ukraine would receive four, but a technology review by the United States military determined there was a risk to national security and blocked the equipment drawdown. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that, quote, NATO does not yet plan to introduce a no-fly zone in the sky of Ukraine yet, end quote. Also interestingly, Russian mill bloggers and Russian state media left off the yet part, which changes the context of the quote. The head of the NATO military committee, Rob Bauer, praised the Ukrainian armed forces, saying, quote, one of the reasons that the Ukrainian armed forces managed to repel the Russian invasion is their skillful use of new technologies. And we have all witnessed the decisive role of technology companies supporting Ukraine. Help came from both Ukraine's own well-developed technology sector and from large and smaller international players. End quote. 
Speaking of small international players, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Reports from the UK Defense Intelligence Agency and Ukrainian officials support our assessment that the Russian Federation exhausted their initial supply of Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones and is running out of precision standoff weapons. The UK Defense Intelligence Organization wrote, quote, No OWA UAVs strikes have been publicly reported since around 17th November 2022. Russia has likely very nearly exhausted its current stock, but will probably seek resupply. End quote. The Ukrainian Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council, Oleksiy Danilov, said in an interview that Russia has enough cruise missiles and drones left in reserve for three or four more massive attacks on Ukraine. According to Ukrainian officials, Russia has used 87% of its Iskander short-range ballistic missiles, 68% of its KH-22, 63% of its caliber, half of its KH-101 and KH-55, and cruise missiles. Russia has almost 7,000 S-300 anti-aircraft missiles remaining, but not all of them are modernized versions that can be used for ground attacks. The estimated supply accounted for ongoing production, which is becoming increasingly difficult due to sanctions and an ongoing brain drain within Russia. Adding to potential woes, there were reports that talks between Iran and Russia to procure Iranian short-range and mid-range ballistic missiles had broken off. Russian Lieutenant Colonel Nikulin Sergei Leonidovich, the head of communications of the 76th Guard Airborne Assault Division, was killed in action in Ukraine on October 11th. The 76th was deployed in Kherson, west of the Dnipro, and held defense of Davidi Brid. In yesterday's episode, we reported that Russian President Putin would meet with the mothers of soldiers in Ukraine, quote, in the coming days. We also speculated that this would be little more than a photo opportunity because, with all due respect, the most fearsome force left in Russia is an angry babushka. The Russian Council of Mothers and Wives have been demanding an audience with President Putin for days, blasting him on Moscow streets. The council organizer, Olga Tsukhanova, recorded a video message after learning that none of the Council of Mothers and Wives representatives was invited to this meeting. In her video, Tsukhanova said, quote, Are you a man or what? Do you have the courage to meet face-to-face, openly, not with pocket women, mothers agreed by you, but with real ones who from different cities came here to you at their own expense? We are here in Moscow, ready to meet with you. We are waiting for your reply." or do you hide again? End quote. She added, quote, It's too late to be afraid. End quote. With the organization demanding a return of troops from the front and the start of earnest peace negotiations with Ukraine. Leonid Pasechnik, whom the Russian state news agency TASS referred to as the, quote, acting head of the LNR, reported that by their census, 640 members of the 2nd Army Corps are being held as POWs by Ukraine. While the admission that 640 troops of the LNR have been captured is interesting, the words acting head are what really grab my attention. Retired Russian Army General Vladimir Boldarev came to the defense of now-disgraced Russian Colonel General Alexander Lapin, saying that he should be reinstated. Boldarev rightly pointed out that Lapin executed the only successful Russian offensive of the entire war, saying, quote, he is able to hold the defense in the LNR and not give up and will stand to the end. This is without a doubt. Now is the time to fight to the death. Lapin is quite capable of coping with the task. End quote. 
Brothers, morale is high. Governor Haidai reported that the number of desertions of Russian troops continues to increase, forcing occupation forces to deploy units to block troops and man checkpoints. Some Russian Mobiks have walked more than 100 kilometers after deserting to get to the Russian border to attempt to end their military contracts. Didn't the proclaimers write a song about that? Russia has expanded the number of military police officers in the occupied territories to 52,000, despite losing half of the area they used to occupy since March 25th. While 52,000 may sound high, if the occupied territories hold 2 million civilians, a belligerent would need 100,000 troops to prevent an insurgency from forming. Russian State Duma Deputy Dmitry Gusev has suggested militarizing Russian computer hackers and IT professionals to stop the ongoing brain drain, saying, quote, Our programmers are the best in the world, and everyone knows it. Unfortunately, they are now leaving abroad, thinking that they will be conscripted into the army and go to serve with weapons in their hands. But their weapon is a computer. End quote. Some assessment here. Deputy Gusev is ignoring two key points. First, if Russian hackers that are part of the military launch cyber warfare on a NATO nation, it could spark an Article 5 declaration, because the Kremlin would no longer have plausible deniability. It also ignores that many Mobics that ended up on the front lines with a rusty AKM or AK-74 in their hands had different specialties, but were sent to the light infantry anyway. Dutch investigators Bellingcat reported that a Russian couple who lived in Sweden for 20 years was arrested for espionage. The couple's villa in Stockholm was raided by Swedish authorities who descended from Black Hawk helicopters and smashed through the windows. I bet the neighbor's kids thought that was pretty awesome. Okay, what is it with Russian soldiers and washing machines? Russian Colonel Ivan Mertichek was arrested after he was caught demanding a bribe from a military commissar. Mertichek, who was responsible for mobilization in parts of the Moscow Federal District, found that enlistment was not going to plan in the Ramanki District. He told the commissar that regardless of his performance, he would tell his superiors that the man had failed his job unless he provided the colonel with one brand new washing machine. And not just any washing machine, it had to be worth at least 70,000 rubles. That's about 1150 U.S. dollars. The threatened man contacted authorities, who had him buy the washing machine. When Mertvicek came to pick it up, he was greeted by OMON and arrested for receiving a bribe related to extortion, and is now facing up to 12 years in prison. The ironic part? If the colonel is imprisoned, he could potentially be recruited by PMC Wagner. The Wall Street Journal reported that the United States Central Intelligence Agency, that's the CIA, was recruiting spies from Russian nationals dissatisfied with the political situation at home. CIA Director David Marlowe said, quote, We are looking all over the world for Russians who are just as disgusted as we are. We are open to cooperation. End quote. Oh, everything is definitely going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. 
In Zaporizhia, the Vilnius Maternity Hospital suffered a direct hit from a Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack. The hospital partially collapsed, killing a newborn boy and burying a woman in active labor in the debris. Two doctors and one medic were also injured in the attack. The mother of the deceased child was in another location in the hospital and survived. In Kupiansk, Russian forces targeted a medical clinic, killing two people in the attack. The European Union Parliament is considering a vote to declare PMC Wagner a terrorist organization. Beyond Ukraine, the company's mercenaries operate in Syria, Libya, the Central Africa Republic, Mali, Sudan, Madagascar, and other nations. Wagner has been accused of war crimes and human rights atrocities in every nation they operate, most recently at least one massacre in Mali. In Jankoy, in Russian-occupied Crimea, something odd has been discovered in local grocery stores. Western products in the Ukrainian language with price tags in the hryvnia, covered by a sticker showing rubles. It is suspected that the merchandise was looted from Kherson during the Russian retreat. In geopolitical news, delegates from 19 nations and a delegate with the European Union visited Mykolaiv and Kherson in a show of support, and as a working visit to see firsthand what kind of aid Ukraine needs to rebuild. The delegation included First Secretary Srinivasan Rangachari of India, a nation that has taken a neutral stance on the war in Ukraine. Ukrainian officials confirmed that they met with Iranian counterparts to discuss Russia's use of Iranian kamikaze drones. The story was first reported in TASS on November 22nd. Ukrainian Minister of Foreign Affairs Ole Nikolenko told United States news agency CNN, quote, Such an expert meeting did take place. I cannot disclose the details, but I can assure you that the Ukrainian side continues to take the most drastic measures to prevent the use of Iranian weapons by Russia for the war against Ukraine. End quote. In Yerevan, Armenia, people gathered to protest against Russia at the start of the CSTO summit. CSTO is Russia's version of NATO, with six members, including two that just concluded a three-day border war against each other. Protesters waved Ukrainian, Armenian, and United States flags. Pro-Russian sentiment took a nosedive after Armenia made an Article 4 declaration for mutual protection after Azerbaijan invaded on September 13th. Russia said, sorry, we got nothing, but offered to send military observers. SpaceX is suing the Ukrainian company Starlink for trademark violation. The Ukrainian company was formed in 2011 and provides IT services and plans to fight the suit. Musk's Starlink communication systems began operating in 2015 and became available to the public in 2018. No, we are not picking on Elon Musk. He appears to be seeking a lot of attention right now, so everyone needs to cope. In economic news, the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, announced that it would provide 2.5 billion euros in financial assistance to Ukraine and is planning for another 18 billion euros in 2023. She said, quote, We will keep on supporting Ukraine for as long as it takes. End quote. United States Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that 4.5 billion U.S. dollars in non-military financial aid will be dispersed to Ukraine, quote, in the coming weeks. The funds were approved by Congress in September and are not a new allocation. 
The World Bank is also providing Ukraine with $4.5 billion in support to ensure the nation can meet, quote, urgent needs through the winter season. China announced they were suspending oil purchases from Russia due to the upcoming price ceiling and European Union sanctions that begin on December 5th. The door remained open in Beijing that oil imports could restart after considering the legal and geopolitical implications. To date, China has respected global sanctions against its weakening neighbor to the north. Gazprom said that it was carrying through with its threat to restrict gas supplies to Moldova further and started reducing the flow of natural gas through Ukraine. The company has accused Moldova of stealing natural gas through an elaborate scheme working with Ukraine, allegations both nations deny. The energy cuts will also hit the breakaway Republic of Transnistria, which receives gas through the same pipeline and has already been forced to shut down steel and concrete mills due to a lack of electrical power. Russia's attempt to create its own payment system, MIR, to replace Visa and MasterCard after they withdrew from Russia, has failed. Nine nations initially signed up to support MIR, but only three moved forward with implementation. Banks in Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Turkey, and Vietnam have ended supporting the system or reduced it to a trickle. Turkey allowed the payment system to be deployed for tourism, but never implemented the technology. The ruble was steady with an exchange rate of 61 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices continued to decline, with WTI crude trading at $79 a barrel and Brent at 86 United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market was almost unchanged, trading at $2.47 per gallon for November contracts. That is still 65 cents a liter. Dutch TTF gas futures for December 2022 continued to climb, reaching 124 euros per megawatt hour. And January 2023 contracts rose to 132 euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures dropped over 5%, trading at $7.86 a bushel for March 2022 contracts. We do have breaking news today. Multiple missiles struck Ukraine, targeting civilian infrastructure and striking one civilian area in Kyiv where at least three people are dead and six wounded. There is a short video, and pictures are starting to emerge. Ukrenerho has reported that they have shut down the entire electrical grid in Ukraine to prevent further damage. This means that all nuclear power plants have rolled over to diesel generators and will have to move to shut down. The loss of power will knock out water, internet, and cellular service nationwide, and power is out in Moldova, including Transnistria. There are no reports that Moldova was attacked at this time, and we have no reason to believe the country was intentionally attacked. The attack started just minutes after the European Union voted to declare Russia a terrorist state. I don't even know what to say about that. So that's what we know. Tomorrow is a holiday here in the United States, and honestly, everyone on the team could use a little break. Join me again on Saturday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.